0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com.
1: The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Um, God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you so much for uh, how it calls out our own hearts. And uh, God, I just pray that we will uh, be attentive and have soft hearts and uh, just ready to hear whatever you have for us today. Um, Lord, so many times our, our hearts are uh, in, a, in a strange and messed up state. And God, we just need to hear from you today. Uh, we need your word and we need your truth. And please empower or handle as he speaks. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks, Ethan. All right, good morning. Well, my name is Randall, and if this is your first time here, um, welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 3. Uh, and what we're doing here today is we're continuing in our series in the book of Jonah. Now, we are almost done with this whole book, and we've been looking at it this past month. And it's been interesting because as we've looked at it, what we've seen is that uh, God is doing something in Jonah's life, something that's a lot deeper than uh, asking Jonah to go do something for him, but God is doing something inside of him. He's changing him. He's becoming a different person. And so what we've entitled this series is the book of Jonah, learning to love a city. You see, Jonah, who we would expect would, he should in every way be a very loving person, just wasn't. And so how did God take this prophet who who knew all about God and shape him into a more loving, genuine, authentic person? That's what we're looking at throughout this series. Now, like Matt shared earlier, our vision as a church is to be a church for a city that seeks new life in Jesus. And, and really, at the root of who we are, why we exist, why we're here is we want to be a church for others, for our community. See, many times what happens is a group of people get together and it becomes very inward. It becomes very exclusive, But for us, we want to be a church that grows in love for our city, our community, our neighborhood in those places which God has placed each and every one of us. And now next week, we've shared this. We have a three-year celebration as a church. Um, and, And here's the thing I've learned. Over these three years, our community is very transient in nature. People are moving and coming and going all the time. And what happens is we can take this on ourselves. We can take on a visitor mindset. It's like I'm a visitor to the city, you know, and, and, and it can happen. You know, many college students, you guys are coming back. And, and here's the thing, you're thinking, it's, I'm here for school. And I'm only here a few years. And so I'm just going to really focus on, on being in school and, and that's it. Some of us have, have come here and, and you say, man, I've got this new job, I'm in the city, I'm in this community, and so I'm just here for my job. And our mindset is very much like a, a visitor to the city. Or maybe you thought, well, just California, I've always had this dream of like living in California, and so I'm here visiting, but it's not really where I'm gonna be. What if God was trying to do something more? What if God was saying, would you give up that visitor mindset and say, I'm going to be an investor in the city, in the community in which I live? You know, there's this amazing verse in Acts 17, verse 26. It says this, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faces of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Could God be asking us today, would you embrace the place that you live right now? See, sometimes we live so much in the future that we're not thinking about the fact that God might have placed you right here, right now, not by an accident, but by his divine choice. That God actually has a plan. And so Jonah is placed in this city, which if it were up to him, he would not have been. He wouldn't have chosen to be there. And we find them in Jonah 3, 6, and we're gonna go all the way to 4, 4. But what we find is that Jonah wasn't there by accident. God intentionally placed him there. And we get to see Jonah's response. We get to see the unfiltered response that Jonah gives back to God. And it's for his good. It's for his formation. It's for his heart. And so we get to learn from that today. Let me ask you this. What, what do you think uh, God's response would be if you truly were honest, transparent about the way you felt about some of the difficult circumstances that you've had to face in life? If you were like, okay, let's just strip it away. Let's get the the churchiness, religiosity, all those things away. Like how would you really feel about the difficult circumstances you've been in? And if you share that with God, do you think he would be upset, hurt, vengeful, or maybe unresponsive, uncaring, harsh? See, again, today we see Jonah coming to God with this unfiltered response of, God, I'm placed in this city. You asked me to do this thing. I'm getting this response that I don't want. I didn't want that to happen. God. And so it's all coming out of him. It's raw. It's unfiltered. And so how does God respond to an angry prophet? It's important. So if you're just joining us today, you might be asking, well, who is this Jonah guy you're talking about? Who is Jonah? Well, we could find Jonah back in the Old Testament. He was a minor prophet. And what we find in his life is that God set him apart for a specific task. And so when we talk about being a prophet, he was a spokesperson for God. He was the one that if if God was speaking, you go to Jonah, you talk with him. So that's who he is. And again, we see him giving this raw, unfiltered response to God. And so he's like arguing with God. And you're like, how can a man of God do that? Well, it's part of it. You know, but Second Kings 14.25 uh, tells us that during the time of Jonah, when he lived, he lived in a very evil time. There was a king there named King Jeroboam, and he was not a godly man at all. And so he was living under the rule of this very evil king. But we find out that First Kings seventeen, um, there was a man named Elijah, and and that at some point, by God's divine grace, he meets up with jo- Jonah, and many believe that he was the son of the a widow that jo- uh, that Elijah met back in First Kings seventeen, and so people believe that Elijah took. Jonah under his wing, and he was in this group of people that were being groomed for ministry. So Jonah knew a lot about God. He knew a lot of people who knew God. And then God sends him to this city of Nineveh, which God calls three times this great city. He says, this is a great city. But Jonah didn't feel so great about it. And the greatness was that they had much influence. Many records show that Nineveh had become one of the most powerful cities in the world. But again, in the book of Nahum, uh, it gives a graphic description of the brutality of these people. Again, it was an evil city. And so over the past few weeks, we've looked at the question, why did Jonah run from God's calling? And we've discovered that in many ways, we are not much different from Jonah He ran because of discomfort, fear, prejudice, racism, doubt, legalism, all the things that you just don't want to share on your Facebook page, right? Like, oh, that's all the things that that he's like, I just want to keep that under, like, don't want to share that. Because ultimately, a lot of these things that we see that are being exposed in the book of Jonah, you know how we find out that they're there? It's because we find out that it's through prayers, like we're going to read today prayers. He's coming in to God with no obstacles, no distractions, and saying, this is how I really feel. And you know what got him to that point? It was his circumstances. His circumstances were, there was a storm at sea. He was swallowed by a great fish. He was sent into this city he hated. And and, in all of like the The fakeness, you know, the things of like, let's hold it together and be religious right now have been stripped away from him and he is being real. He's being 100, right there with God. And so all of it points to God's love for Jonah and God's love for this evil city of Nineveh. (laughs) And so, again, our text today is Jonah 3, 6, uh, 3, 6 through 4, 4. And um, Sinclair Ferguson sets us up well uh, when he, he says this about the book of Jonah right here in this, this, this passage. He says, from any viewpoint, it was a time of unusual grace. Grace is that undeserved love and favor that God gives The circumstances that brought Jonah to the city, the unction that attended his preaching, the penitent uh, faith of the citizens. Like what happens is there's this outbreak of revival that happens where people start believing God. He says, all these are indications of the day of mercy that dawned in Nineveh. It was a story to which our Lord Jesus Christ could point back and say, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with a generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah see, even Jesus himself points back and says, you remember when the people in Nineveh, that evil city that Jonah went to, remember when they repented, when they turned back to God? Right, so he points this out as a significant moment in history. And Ferguson goes on to say that the, the great significance of this chapter lies in the contrast between God's response to Nineveh's spiritual revival and Jonah's response to it. You know what happens? When God saw what they did, And we're going to look at this. He relented. He relented on the people. He had mercy on the people. When Jonah saw what God did, he was displeased exceedingly and angry. You see, Jonah, he had some issues. He had some issues. And God loved him so much that he wasn't going to let him continue on with the heart issues that he had. He says, we're going to deal with this. And what we find out is a very public way, right? Because we're reading it today. Very public way, everything's on display. And so today we're gonna look at three parts to Jonah's response and it's all based off of this text. And so here's all three. The first one is a relenting God, a listening presence. Number three, a piercing question. A relenting God, a listening presence, a piercing question. So the first one is a relenting God. Look at verses six through 10. So the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed Or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. It was like at that moment there's violence. He knows that there's violence in his city. Right in that moment, stop. Verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. In verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So let's look at verse six. It's starting there. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh. What word reached the king of Nineveh? Well, it was the words that were preached by Jonah that in 40 days, There's going to be calamity that's brought on this great city. So they needed to turn to God. They needed to repent. And so that reached all the way up to the the king. And and here's the thing. The simple preaching of little Jonah. Think about this. As Jonah is sent into the city, what what credibility does he have with the people? He's not from the city. He's not from that community. He didn't know anybody there. But yet little Jonah, what he said, what he spoke reached all the way up to the most important people in the city. Here's what we can learn. The power of God has the power to change change the lowliest of people. But also he has the power to change even the most powerful of people. Queen Elizabeth of England once said, I wish I could be alive when Christ returns because I would like to be the first earthly monarch to take my crown and lay it at his feet. Person of prominence saying this crown is not mine, but there's another ruler. And so that's what's happening in the heart of this king. He's looking and saying there is someone above me. Like I might be the biggest deal in this city. Everybody knows me, but I'm really not. There's a God that has more power than I do. And here's the thing. He's willing to do this at the expense of himself and the city. You know, one of the things that kind of baffles people at the end is uh, when, talk, when, when it says that there's um, 120,000 persons in the, the last, and then there's also much cattle. Like, why is that like the last part of the book of Jonah? We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But here's the thing that's where all their wealth was. The wealth of the city was found in the livestock. And so the king was willing to say, you know what, even at the expense of our city, we're the detriment of our city. We're 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 going to all, every one of us, repent before God everyone. This is the most powerful of the world at the time. Saying, I've heard what Jonah said and I need God. I need God. Right? No matter what position we are in life, there, there is a deep need that we all have for God. And we can't get away from it. We can't. Look at the king's response. It says he arose from his throne. He arose from his throne. I want you to think about the past few weeks when we've talked about Jonah and Jonah's response to God. When God God says to him, arise and go to Nineveh, what does he do? He arises and runs the other direction. He doesn't listen to God. He turns from him. But then we have this king who knew nothing about God hearing this word and now he's responding. It says he arose from his throne. Jonah didn't have a throne, but this guy did. And he arose from it. And and it says that he took off his royal garments and exchanged them for sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. Desmond Alexander, commentator on this text points out, he says, rising from his throne and replacing his royal robes with sackcloth, the king sits on the ground amid dust or ashes. In so doing, he symbolizes his human frailty and worthlessness. You know what this is? This is humility. This is humility. This is coming before God and saying, I I have nothing to offer you. You are high above me and I need you. See, how did, how did God's word affect the king? Well, in 2 Corinthians, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul talks about basically the difference between just feeling sorry for yourself and true repentance. He, he talks specifically about that. I encourage you to, to read through that text, but he says there's like this thing, it's called worldly sorrow. And what that is, it's just like, you're not really sorry. You're just sorry you got caught. You know, it's, it's not like real sorrow in your heart. And then he says there's, there's godly grief. When you come before God and you say, God, there's something in me that I need to bring before you. And, and, and I am so deeply saddened by this. You know, one of the things that is a nightly ritual in my household is uh, me and my wife trying to put our kids down to bed about 7.45. Nightly ritual. So we we get them all dressed up. We get them their baths. We get everything going. We say, okay, we're gonna get you guys into bed. We're gonna read you a story. We're gonna pray over you. We're gonna do all of these things. Mom sings a song. We get everything going right, like everything is set, and um, this happens almost every time. So about eight oh five, right in there. So about twenty minutes after we put them down to bed, my daughter Elle comes walking out. Uh, Hey, can we get some water? We already gave you water. Water bottle's right next to your bed. Oh, okay, cool. Goes back to bed. And then she comes out again. Hey, I was just, you know, I just needed to draw something real quick, you know. <laughs> but, and, uh, okay. She's, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry. And this happens probably about five or six other times, different, different things. But, you know, it's, and the thing she says is, so sorry, dad, so, so sorry, so sorry. Now that is not repentance, <laughs> right? Like, she, is she really sorry? I don't know about that. You know, there was like no action with the sorry. The king didn't just say, I'm sorry. Ooh, sorry about that, God. Yeah, he's going to destroy us now. Okay. No, he, he says, I, I need to obey him. I need to obey him. And this, this, as this breaks through into the king's life, this is a sign of God's divine grace. He's, he's turning him on a different course and saving him from a destructive path. See, and as God sees the city respond, he relents. He relents. Now, I want you to think about this about God. Okay, because there, there, there are these images that we put in our mind. Not too long ago, I was, I was watching the uh, Would You Be My Neighbor, Mr. Rogers. And, and there were, it was an amazing flip. And I encourage you to watch it. But this is crazy. There were people that were protesting outside of his funeral and saying that he was going to hell because he loved people. Right, there are people who, who think like that. that's God. Like God is just, this is who he is. And he's just ready to bring down the hammer on somebody and, and, and destroy them. Let's reshape the theology here because Ezekiel 33, 11 tells us the God of heart, God's heart. And here's what he says. As surely as I, I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? He's on his own people. To, like, why would you, like, do you think I take pleasure in this? See, we get to see God's heart on display here. And we're talking about this city that was, that was wrapped up in evil, but God says later that they don't even know their right hand from their left. They don't know right and wrong. No one's come and spoken to them, and that's why I sent you into the city, Jonah. Don't you see? Don't you see? And so the first is a relenting God. We get to see God's heart. That's who he is. Second, we get to see a listening presence. Listening presence. Look at, look at verses one and two. But it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This should kind of make us laugh. Like, Jonah, do you know what happened in the previous chapters? Do you know what you did? Like, do you know your own story? Do you know? But yet he was so quick to, to be angry and upset. Again, where did this exchange take place? In prayer. In prayer, look, look at verse two. And he prayed to the Lord and said. Because Jonah is the writer of this book, we get to read his unfiltered thoughts to God. His true feelings, they're starting to come out. For some of us, maybe we, we've grown up in the church and maybe our whole life, we've thought there there are things that I can say and can't say. There are feelings I can address that I feel towards God right now, but I can't really say them because he's gonna be mad at me. Do you know that God knows all of our thoughts? (laughs) He knows everything about us. God already knows. It's just that we're not being honest enough to say it. And his true feelings start to come out. He's no longer trying to hold it together. You know what that is, that that holding it together? I've got this. We're trying to perform our way to God's love and grace. I've got my life together. I don't really do that bad of things you know like uh, no longer is he trying to hide and pretend but he's being honest and what is God doing through all, all of it listening listening See, let's look at what Jonah says. He says, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. We're getting the why. We're getting the why here. Why he did it? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and re- relenting from disaster. We need to dissect this for a minute. Who's the center of this prayer? Because there's a lot of eyes, aren't there? I, I said this. My country. I made haste. I knew. Do you know the problem with Jonah's heart? His life. Is still centered on himself. And God is listening so that Jonah can be honest about what his life was really about himself. See, the root of all of this was self pity. He's saying, God, how could you? I said, my country, I made haste, I knew. What we find is that Jonah's biggest problem isn't the Ninevites, it's himself. It's himself. Deep within him, it's himself. Robert Murray McShane says, the seeds of all sins are in my heart and perhaps all the more dangerously that I do not see them. Ultimately, he's seeing how sinful he really is. It's like the scary thing of like, actually, I've got to look in the mirror and I've got to face the reality of who I am. Who am I in all of this? And what he's leaning into is this self-pity before God. God, I'm just this victim. But God just continues to listen. He's a listening presence, loving him every moment as he shares about how bad his life was, about how much of a victim he was. How could he do this? It's God's grace. It's purely God's grace. Right? Like, a, a, as, as, a, as a servant of God, he, do, he doesn't say, order him around and say, I don't care about you, but he cares deeply for this servant of God. It's this moment where he realizes that he is loved. And so how does God respond? After he's heard Jonah out, after he's listened to him, he responds with a piercing question. A piercing question. So this is the last point. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? So, Jonah was so absorbed in himself that he wanted the city to die. He wanted to do his work and then for God to bring down fire on this people. It's much like when when Jesus is talking with his disciples and his disciples go into a city, they don't listen to him and they come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, uh, you need to bring fire down on that community over there. You need to bring down the fire and judgment on that community because they didn't listen to us. What we're getting here now is the opposite response. They listened to me, God. So you need to bring, you really need to bring down fire and rage on them. Like you need to do it. It was more about him than about others. And Because he didn't get his way, he tells God he would rather die. He says, Lord, take my life. He is so overwhelmed with everything that is coming at him, his emotions, everything. He says, it would be better if I were dead. There's this anonymous quote. I think it's helpful. It says, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Anger is like, Drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. God knew that deep within Jonah, if he lived with this and harbored this, he would die in here. And that's how Jonah felt, so much so that he wanted to to say, just take my life. And let me be real. In a room this size, the reality of suicide is not too far from any of us, whether it be from loved ones or even for ourselves. See, an estimated 9.3 million adults reported that they had suicidal thoughts in the past year. And the feelings that Jonah is feeling is not too far from what some of us may have felt very recently. And the Bible has other examples of leaders, whether it be Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, who felt similar. The Bible doesn't censor out the reality of human struggle. But here's the difference that many of us don't see. Yes, Jonah, he says, Lord, take my life. But here's the difference. He doesn't assume that he has the right to take his own life. He says, Oh Lord, please take my life from me. He still knows that God is the ultimate authority over his life. Here's the thing suicide is something and depression that has hit our culture in a huge way. A huge way. And it's not a simple answer or solution. In the book of Psalms, it says that you and I are created so complex, we don't know our very selves. We don't know. And we've seen celebrities take their own lives. You can have it all in the world, but you can take your own life. And I just want you to know today that if you're struggling, there's a God who is ready to listen, to hear you, who loves you, who cares. Who cares. I just ask as a church that we will seek help and help those who are struggling right around us who might be struggling in silence. Struggling in silence. Not saying anything. Because your life is valuable. It's valuable to God. He does love you. He cared for this poor, angry prophet, Jonah. Jonah. And he cares for you. Jonah's behavior, his thoughts, his hatred did not stop God from loving him. So hear me today. You're not too far from God's love. And Jonah felt he could be open and honest with God about those things. And verse four says that the the God of the universe asks him this question Do you do well to be angry? Here's the thing about God. Os Guinness says it well when he says, Jesus never taught to two people the same way. He never taught to two people the same way. So, what one person needs isn't exactly what another person needs. But do you know that we have a God that is sensitive to that? See, what we see when Elijah was struggling, he says, Lord, take my life. He needed a meal. He needed a nap. That's what he needed. God's like, okay, here's a meal. He sends an angel. He's like, here's a meal. Here's a nap. That's what he needed. But he was really desperately struggling in those moments. Right? So all of us need something different, but there's a God who listens, who cares, and who will ask us the questions. See, many times we think it's our job to ask the questions. But it's God's job. He asks the questions. And so are we willing to listen to the questions that he asks us? God knows what we need. And he knew what Jonah needed. And so just some quick takeaways as we finish. We wrap up. Our circumstances, as difficult as they may be, help, number one, reveal the trap of self-pity. Reveal the trap of self-pity. It's there. And I just want you to know that I've fallen into that very trap before. I remember the very beginning of Grace City, and I remember there was this one Sunday. When we came, we set up, and it was basically just the people that had set up that morning. And I remember sitting in the backyard after the service was done, And I looked at my wife and I said, are we wasting people's time? Are we wasting people's time? And she looked back at me and she said, no. Now stop thinking this is about you. You know the trap I was caught in? Self-pity. I was deeply caught in, and you know how I got out? God's word. Reading God's word. And remembering it's, it's, it's not about me and that he's the one who called me and I'm just asked to be obedient to what he called me to do. So our circumstances, they will reveal the trap of self-pity. The other thing it will do is uncover our desperate need for God. Our desperate need for God. Just like the king found this, this thing that was deep in him and he says, I need God in my life, and the same thing is true for you and me. Elizabeth Elliott, missionary to Ecuador, lost her husband. As a missionary said, the, the, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Many times we think it's just, oh, I just need a different set of circumstances. Grass is greener on the other side. I just need to get out. I need to run like Jonah. It's not the answer. The secret is Christ in me. Living hope that can only be found in Jesus. The last takeaway is display our honest emotions about life. It displays our honest emotions about life. We're struggling. We got these thoughts and all this stuff. We're like, oh, it's not really me. Then who was it? It is me. And I need to face it. I need to face some of the things that I really do think and the feelings that I really do feel and bring them to God in prayer and say, God, you love me even though I thought this or felt this way. And you'll find freedom you'll find freedom knowing that God is not just some magic genie who's gonna do what we want him to do, right? Because that's what Jonah wanted. Okay, I'm gonna go tell all the people this and then they're gonna, they're gonna be destroyed. And so God, do your thing. Magic genie. No. He's a father in heaven who loves us. And that's so much better. That's so much better. And so how could this God relent on this evil people? I mean, it was is God just a pushover? Is he just a pushover? Oh, okay, fine. You guys <laughs> repented. Cool. Is that what he is? No. God relented because 2000 years ago there was one the son Jesus the son who came into the world says in isaiah that he was looked down upon he was torn to shreds do you know the one that god didn't god the father did not relent on his own son God wasn't a pushover and just saying, okay, nobody's going to pay the price here. But he is a just God and someone had to pay the price. And the only one that truly could pay the price is God himself. And so God, through Jesus, paid the wrath that Nineveh deserved and that Jonah deserved. He took it upon himself on the cross, and he died for our sins. You see, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world, is that we have a God who died for us and paid the cost of our sins and paid the punishment that we deserve. John 3, 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. God himself paid the cost. And today, just like that king who heard that message of hope, that maybe, maybe, maybe there's a God who would, who would love me like that. It's true. He did. He has. And he's paid the price. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've done it all, that you've paid the price. And God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts like you did the city of Nineveh and like that king who took off his royal robes and said, I need this God to forgive me, to help me. And thank you that we have a God that we can come to and just be open and honest and that you won't turn away from us or reject us, but you love us and you listen so help us to know that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.